0: This podcast contains general health information and shouldn't be relied on as medical advice. If you have any health concerns, speak to your doctor. HCF doesn't endorse any statements or opinions made during the podcast. If the podcast makes you feel depressed or anxious and you need to talk to someone straight away, call Lifeline on 131114.
1: Girl and boy stereotypes. I don't have much presumptions of what girls prefer. I'm
2: not too judgmental. Girls can be caring. They're not always caring as well, and boys can be caring too. Boys do cry because I've seen my brother cry. can't define someone by their gender.
0: Welcome back to Navigating Parenthood, Growing Great Tweens. Brought to you by HCF, Australia's largest not-for-profit health fund. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis. Hello. Ever heard the phrases, good girls are nice girls, and boys don't cry, pink is for girls and blue is for boys, girls are natural carers, boys are natural risk takers? Oh, the list goes on and on, and these stereotypes have all been around for a really long time, shaping how society expects children of each gender to behave. But let's be honest, have we been programmed to think at least some of this is just a bit true? Or have we seen the way gender stereotypes impact our kids and instead we're showing them it's okay for boys to cry and it's okay for girls to try? In this episode on gender roles and stereotypes, we'll chat about the boxes that girls and boys can be put into. Boxes that are often reinforced by their messages in movies, online, in the playground, and of course by us we'll explore what we as parents can do to help lift them out of these limiting gender role boxes so they can explore the world and themselves simply as themselves. My two guests are people who understand firsthand the way gender expectations impact kids. Michelle Laurie, whose twins are 12 years old, and Sean Zepps, who is father to four-year-old twins. Mm. Welcome Michelle and Sean. Both parents to boy-girl twins, same age, same environment, different gender. So you've both been given a giant Petri dish to observe what we're talking about. What are little boys made of?
1: Snips and snails. That's it, and puppy dogs' tails. Puppy dogs' tails. (laughs) Yeah.
0: What are little girls made of? What are little girls Mm. made of? Sugar and spice and everything nice. That's right. That's what little girls are made of. Mm -hmm. My son's nine years old. And he hates that nursery rhyme. He thinks it's really mean. Does he? (gasps) Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm glad he hates it. When we were growing up, though, I would imagine we didn't even question that nursery rhyme, did
1: we? Yeah, I thought it was stupid. Didn't you think it was silly? You didn't think you were made of puppy dogs' tails, did you? I
0: thought I smelt nice.
1: Yeah, of course. And I bet you did. I did. What about you, Sean? Do your kids use the same things and like to be like each other or do they like to differentiate each from each other?
2: They're polar opposite and they want to be. Oh. <laughs> I think... I expected there to be a lot more overlap than there actually is, right? When you go into the parenting experience with twins who are opposite gender, you get that rare opportunity, that Petri dish moment <laughs> to observe the way the world works, right? And so I thought if I raise them the exact same, I don't push gender stereotypes on them, they are going to be the proof that the world is broken and I am perfect. <laughs> and then the reality was mm. it just didn't work out that way.
1: Yeah. I <laughs> know. Oh, it is weird, isn't it, when they just do something that's very gender when your son just picks up cars, just becomes obsessed with cars. Like my son was when he was little and it was like he just had this instinctive knowledge of different makes of cars and we were like, where is he getting this? No one in our family is into cars. No one talks about – he was like three. No one talks about cars. I might
0: need some lessons from him. Right, that's what we all said.
1: (laughs) And and I used to buy him wheels magazines and stuff because he just loved looking at cars and he'd go, cool car, mum, cool car, (laughs) mum. So cute. But apart from a few examples like that, they my kids have always been very in tune and are still very in tune and they generally like the same things.
0: Mm-hmm. Your kids, Sean, uh, what are your kids into at the –
2: Cutest age ever. the four years old.
1: Mm-hmm. It so is so cute. cute. Yeah,
2: and they are 100 interested in gendered categories. So oh. my daughter is very into makeup, very oh. into unicorns, princesses. My son is really into dinosaurs, lions, oh. anything animal related in nature.
0: Sean, have you seen your twins being treated differently because they're different genders?
2: Not just mm, good question. Doing gendered Yes. Traditionally gendered things. Are they? Do they get Abs- treated differently? absolutely 100% i would actually say that they've been treated differently since they were born like the mm-hmm. within the first 24 hour window you as a parent get to observe especially a male mm-hmm. who is a homosexual so there's no woman in our family who has not dated women, who has been very removed from what it means to be a woman outside of what the media presents, you get a beautiful opportunity to really just see that the world wants Stella to be pretty. She, they want her to be nice. They mm. want her to be sweet. When she hits, there's a reason for her hitting. Um, always you know, to defend herself or there must have been a strategic wow. reason why. Whereas with my son, we don't necessarily give him the benefit of the doubt for anything physical. Also, he's very rarely commented on his looks, uh, even though he's an incredibly handsome young boy. I very rarely hear the words come out of strangers' mouths. Constant focus on her appearance, wow. and so as a as a man, you know, father, experiencing these two genders at the exact same time, you're just constantly tuned into the fact that. This is deep within our society and even the most well-intended individuals are at, are, have a script that they follow and that script is to comment on young girls' appearances and to focus on the physical agility and strength of my son. Isn't that amazing? Gosh,
1: it is. And yet, and, and I can't imagine I, – I just can't imagine not having this narrative about how much I'm supposed to overcare for my son – and mm. how my daughter is supposed to be independent. She's supposed to be more independent, and she is. And she's supposed to care for him a bit, look out for him. She has always acted like a big sister, even though they're twins. She people, she says to me, she said a couple of days ago, people at school, teachers have always kind of treated her like a big sister. You've got to look out for Louie. You know, so I'm fascinated by... An environment where there is no mum and I'd never thought about it until you were talking about it just then because I've I've always just thought well people have always said to me oh that's the boys and their mums oh they're always really attached to their mums and they and I did I felt like I carried Louis around for the first four months of his life and he's still really attached and do you find your daughters more independent Sean?
2: Everything you've just described, we experience. Yeah, okay. Almost exactly. And if I've learned anything about working in this media landscape for the last five years, it's that basically every experience that a mother has, I have. <gasps> like the traditional roles in our family dynamic, I fill kind of that void hmm. um, as far as like empathy and more of like the warmth and the kindness and the attention to detail and planning all the kids related things and clothes and food and all of that planning and organization that has traditionally fallen on the shoulders of women i feel that role and because of that i think the relationship with my kids also mirrors that of a traditional woman but what i'll say is from the very beginning doctors reminded us that women young girls develop faster than boys we know that to be true scientifically biologically and so having young daughters who are crawling faster, walking faster, developmentally capable of uh, language earlier. Just naturally, when you have boy-girl twins, you have a rare opportunity to also see what happens when you have a child that is developmentally always a couple months ahead of another one and the impact that has on, in our case, the younger boy.
1: On both of them, because I feel like there's a lot of learned helplessness going on with my Mm. son. Mm. You know, like recently he told me on a Friday night about his homework in depth, in detail. And and he he was quite interested in it. It was science homework. And then all weekend I'd say to him, have you done that yet? Have you done that yet? No, I'll do it later, later. Then on Sunday night, I said, have you done that yet? And he went, no, I don't know how. I said, you do know how. You just, now you're bored with it and you don't want to do it. (laughs) I said, you explained it to me on Friday. And by Sunday, he was pretending he didn't know how to do it because he wanted me and his sister to help in adverted commerce.
0: Why do you think society has traditionally encouraged girls to be this way and boys to be this way? Is it is it stemming from a biological thing? Is or it stemming can I be from controversial
1: the, and say, is it because it works? Is it because of that how yeah. society works? Like it it functions if we stay in our lanes. That is, you know, I'm being I'm playing devil's advocate here, but you know, as Shaun Shaun's describing. I think, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think you're saying that your family works really well this way.
2: Listen, every single family and every single person is completely different, right? There are many, many, many women who come into the parenting experience and they're not naturals and they don't have empathy and and they're not capable (laughs) of the like traditionally stereotypical female roles, right? And so we obviously know that there are um, millions of men who come to the table much more confident with the experience of being a parent than say they're, they're, counterpart but what we also know is there are people going on the journey by themselves and there are people going on the journey with partners that are two decades apart from them there are people going on the journey with a same-sex partner and so obviously there's all of these minority groups that are experiencing parenting outside of the majority and they're still able to give love right there's that consistent theme of of love but i think if you take a step back, like really, really far back, and you try to understand the foundation of children's toys, I worked in advertising for ten years, so I can I can seriously nerd out about <laughs> when we go through Egyptian graves, right? <laughs> yeah. And we see little kids. The toys are gendered back then, quite literally. Yeah. Little boys are with toy soldiers, and young little girls were buried with you know uh, dolls with little babies, and it, and if you think about the why. Right, way back then, th- that wasn't malicious. They weren't like, let's divide the genders. It was completely based off of biology. Men were much bigger yeah. than women, and therefore they fought to protect, whereas women uh, were pushed down the path of parenting very, 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 very early by the time they were 12. And so those toys felt like a natural progression of, of what made sense for them. That was the life that they were going to have. And that was really the case all the way up until the industrial revolution, where toys start to get mass produced. And marketers, clever little sneaky marketers like myself, learned that when you marketed toys by gender, they sold more products. And there you have it. By the 90s, it's like, well, if we put a bunch of stuff in a section labeled boy, we see an increase in sales. And that's because parents feel a lot more comfortable walking into a section, grabbing things that are you know, make sense for their child and then get out the door nice and easy.
1: There's a lot of subliminal messaging that they receive, of course, that we, you know, a lot of it we don't even notice. But I am certainly one of those women who are, I'm not comfortable in the domestic environment at all.
0: I think that's a really good point. I, I see in my family, we've, we feel lit, um, yep. work enough. A, a, we're trying. Fully, we're trying. yeah. So we've been mindful the whole time, not exclusively gendering whether it's fashion or toys yeah. or, or dreams or hopes or yeah you know, I will read books to my daughter about powerful, amazing women yeah. in history because we want that to be a, a, a conversation in our household yes. Rosie Revere engineer a great book about a little girl who's an engineer and I guess when I was growing up it was still very much it mm. was boys do boy things, girls do girl things. these gender beliefs where we're at now mm. how do you think? These gender beliefs are going to affect your kids on a day-to-day basis. How does it affect them on a day-to-day basis?
1: I mean, I I get, like, worried. I'm heart-sick now thinking about it. Like, when when people say to you, just play soccer with the other boys and you're just not that person. Or when you go to camp and you just don't, really don't want to be in a dorm room with the other boys. Like, it's just not your vibe, but you have to be. As a parent, how do you help someone through those things and help them not feel weird and, you know, how, how do you help someone feel good about themselves through this period of their life?
2: I can't speak from the lens of being a parent because my children are so young, but obviously the very gay elephant in the room is me. <laughs> um, and I was that child, mm-hmm. right? I was a, it, it, take sexuality out of it entirely, yeah. right? Because I just don't think it was even valuable. And my parents, had that in instinct which was why why is everyone so concerned about my six year old being a homosexual mm-hmm. Like, why are we having a conversation about mm-hmm. this six year old sex life this six year old loves to sing this six year old wants to dance this six year old picks Pocahontas over the male characters Yeah. this six year old wants the boa as you get older the world is going to try to remind you as frequently as possible that there are specific boxes that we should play in Your safe space, your comfort, the one space you should be able to explore yourself authentically and without fear needs to be your home. So that when the world is harsh and nasty to you, which it will be, you're reminded over time that you always have the group of people that support and love you. And that though the world might be challenging or difficult, there's a place where you can explore. And I think. Yes, when you are teen or tween and you're in school and people are trying to like push you into specific boxes, if you always know that there's that safety to explore yourself later, that has to be the ultimate objective. How can we create adults who find their authentic selves as soon as possible? And if we fall into the traps by saying, hey, I don't want you to get bullied, so I really think you should join the football team. Or, hey, I know you really like those shoes, but I'm worried you're going to get bullied. What we're doing is we're thrusting our own understanding of the world as adults onto young children, when in reality, we don't understand the script in their heads. And we also don't understand the script that's occurring at school because the world has changed. Our job has to be allow them to explore authentically without bringing sexuality or gender into the conversation at all. That's what I think.
0: I feel like when I'm listening to you guys talk, that I grew up personally a different world. But I didn't want to play soccer. No. I wanted to play clarinet. I, there's no way <laughs> yeah. I wanted to play footy. I didn't want to go in the change rooms with no, anyone. But no. it was nothing to do with sexuality. Yes. I love theatre. I still do. Mm. You know, I love fashion. Yeah. I love smelling magnificent.
1: Yeah.
0: That's but that's for me nothing to do with sexuality. I mean, I was—I guess I was lucky that I grew up in a family where that was fine. What about for you, growing up, Sean? Were you the person who didn't feel like playing footy, or soccer? And did you have someone supporting you to to just be your authentic self?
2: Mm. Yeah, I'm really blessed that I had parents that were attuned to potentially what was going to happen in my life. They knew that I was a little bit different than the other boys, and so that they were always behind the scenes kind of planning and figuring out ways to ensure that I felt safe to explore myself. The truth is I'm trapped right in the middle. I'm trapped in a world where I'm very interested in exploring traditionally female um, activities, but at the same time aware of, of the ramifications socially. And so I played football and I was a Boy Scout and I was an Eagle Scout and I was on the track and field team and I lowered my voice and I didn't talk about my interests at school to ensure at that time that I was safe, right, emotionally. And so there's this weird double-edged sword of who am I today? I don't know how much of that is because I would have been that person if you allowed me to just explore myself without stereotypes or if the fear of gender stereotypes and, and walking against against that path created who I am today right it's it's such a ch- a challenging thing for even a social psychologist to step back and look and go is it damaging for people not to be able to express and explore themselves authentically. Yeah, of course it is. I'm still struggling today with how much of who I am is because of those stereotypes and not being able to express myself authentically. And then on the other end, you have, you know, wanting your kids to feel safe and secure and wanting them to thrive and not be afraid every single day. And so yeah, it was a tricky time to be a child. I had parents who let me do whatever I wanted, but they're not they're a part of this larger problem too, right? You look at the parents who are modeling what it means to be successful humans and they just so happen to be a masculine man and a feminine woman in a straight relationship and you as a young child are, are going, well, that must be, they're the gods, right? Parents are gods. This must be the gold standard. I must follow in their footsteps and try to figure out how to make this work.
0: Are there things that parents can do from experience to limit gender stereotyping or explore natural preferences, especially in these tween years, which you're yet to encounter. It's four years away for you, Sean. Um, get ready. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what 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 should we do? But I think, Sean, you would have an opinion on this as well, seeing as you yeah. sound like an, a fantastic parent.
2: I've always felt, and it's actually a perfect kind of combination of all, of what we've discussed today. You don't need to lie to your children. They don't. They don't. They see so much more than you think they see. And they also observe a world that you're not allowed access to, right? We all remember what it was like to be a tween and what we spoke about and bullying and peer pressure. Like it all exists outside of us and parents can't wave a a a magic wand and ensure that that disappears. But what we have to do is give our children from an extremely young age, and it must be reinforced all the way through adulthood. I continue to do it with my adult friends. Remind them that this majority idea, the script we have about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman, though it might be prevalent and it might be a majority, a friendly reminder that people exist outside of that. I did not have access to that information. No one ever... Told me that men could be with men and and live a happy life. No one ever told me that a single mom was not what she was. The struggling. How oh, it must be so hard. She's failed because she couldn't keep her man. Or or the idea that you don't need to have children. Right when we were growing up, it was still very much that whoever didn't get married was sad, and if they didn't have children, we should feel bad for them. It's our job as parents, whenever my you know daughter says, oh, Cooper can't wear that. That's for girls. I don't lie and say, that's not the case. I say, it's true. A lot of girls love pink dresses. But guess what? There are some boys who also like pink dresses. And I remind them, I try to pull resources and references that make sense to them. So I just remind my daughter, I like makeup and I'm a boy. So... Where does that fit into this idea? And you just get to see their little mind wander because the goal is not to teach your children about how the entire world works so that they walk in safely. They have to figure that out for themselves. But it is our job to remind them that there are a lot of different people out there who like different things. That has to be a part of our parenting journey is when you hear those things, when you hear something, you have to say something so that they understand at least from you in this household that we're accepting of others in this household. So if, and it's just a huge if, if they're queer, if they don't want to have children, if they're bisexual, that they understand that those are options and that they can be happy doing it. That's what we have to do. Creating a safe space for my children is Mm. a priority in my life, making sure that they know that if they
0: want to tell me something that's uncomfortable for them, that's okay. It's all right. Because what? I've probably done it. I've been through it as well.
1: There is often no bread in my house. Often. There is often no You know, I fail often at that stuff. Often I sleep in late. Uh, Sometimes I'm out a couple of nights a week and last weekend they grounded me on Sunday. (laughs) But I say to them sometimes, oh, God, I'm hopeless, aren't I? And one of them will say, you know what, we know we can talk to you about anything. You won't freak out. You'll be honest. Mm. You'll always tell us the truth, you know.
0: And you're starting to... Behave that way at home already with just little ones, aren't you, Sean? So uh, is that, I guess it's a bit about m- modelling behaviour. So how you are, the, the apple
2: doesn't fall far. Hopefully. Hopefully. Sure. Yeah. And it's honestly, oftentimes I hear a majority of my audience and people who listen to my shows are, are straight women. <laughs> and so oftentimes they'll come to the table and say, well, I have teenagers and They just follow the stereotypes, right? My son is really into sports and he genuinely likes it. Or my daughter is incredibly feminine. What do I do? How can I ensure? If my tween is just following this stereotypical path, is it still worth me reinforcing constantly that they can explore other things? Is it important for me as a parent to take my daughter, not just to the girls section of Kmart, but walk her across the aisle and say, hey, you can pick out shirts here too if you want to. And my feeling overall is it's not just about your child. It's about, are they empathetic and sympathetic of others? What about you teaching your child that people can be different and gender stereotypes can be damaging and then they go to school next week and they see a kid getting bullied, a girl, because she's really good at footy and your child is the one that turns to the other kids and goes, what are you talking about? Footy's not just for boys, grow up. (laughs) So it's like, yes, it's important for us just in case our children don't wanna follow stereotypes or just in case our child might have a different gender or sexuality than the average person. But it's also like, are you trying to raise a good person or not. The world is changing. People are allowed to express themselves differently. The gender stereotypes are becoming less rigid. And so there are going to be younger people around your children, tweens and older, who are expressing themselves through that. And I feel like it should be as much of a goal that for you as a parent to ensure your children feel safe exploring it, but also ensuring that they're good people to other people who don't follow a stereotype. Absolutely. That is constantly on my mind.
1: Yeah, because, you know... Someone raises these kids who give other kids ba- a bad time. Someone raises bullies. someone, and we know that kids who bully have usually been bullied, they have issues of their own, they have problems of their own. So when they come home and say, "This kid called me fat," or this kid did this to me," my first reaction is always to say, "Oh, that what do you think's wrong with that kid? Like what's going on in his life? What's happening? And we sort of talk about it from that perspective, obviously, I console them. But someone's raising that child. What's, going, what's the conversation in their household, I always wonder?
0: How do you think these days, because we've talked a little bit about our, our tween years, mm. about information we got about how to behave, how a boy should be and how girls should be, and it was the telly. We, mm. had, we had about three stations we could choose from. But I remember that.
2: Indeed, <sighs> yes. Unless you had
0: an aerial, whereupon you got four stations. But these days, where are the kids <laughs> getting the majority of the messaging about... What boys should be and what girls should be. My kids,
1: it's TikTok.
0: So the social is clearly a big part of this, especially mm. in the tween years. Your I don't think your kids have got phones yet, Sean. I'm gonna assume. No. <laughs> no,
2: no, no. But no, it's
0: no, no. it's just a part of life. We gave our daughter a phone. She's thirteen now. Yeah. But we only let her have one when it, she was starting to walk to school. So we've got the social media. Clearly there's a lot more television to choose from. People mm-hmm. are choosing what they want to watch and they're streaming it. But
1: they only watch um, YouTube. My kids don't watch, they they will not watch a TV show if their life depends on it. It's
0: it, Having to choose what you want to watch is quite tiresome.
1: At least they're getting more variety. They're certainly getting a much broader, you know, range of alternatives about what is masculine, what is feminine, what, about all the different kinds of men and women you can be and people you can Mm. be. And certainly we had no, I had no idea as a child that you didn't have to be a man or a woman. Mm. I didn't know that was an option.
2: Obviously social media, it's a, there's a double-edged sword, right? It has created unbelievable opportunity for young people who would have otherwise not had access to diversity Mm. in their lives to have it stream to their phone each day. don't know it exists that there are other people like you, Yeah, I mean, just think about, and and it's most simplistic form. Like if you just live in a small Mm. town and there isn't another girl who wants to play footy and there there isn't another boy who's in the dance Mm -hmm. class, you can turn on your phone and not only will you find that there's another boy like you, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of boys like you. That's a beautiful gift that social gives you is you can log on and find two million other people who like Pokemon just as much as you Absolutely. do. And that can give you a community in a place where you might not have found it.
0: Sean, I love before you mentioned about going to the the store and taking kids through girls' section and boys' section. Yeah. Yep. Choose what you want. Yep. Are you seeing your kids pick up on the fact that there are boys' things and girls' things even at their tiny weenie age of four already? And, and do they ever mention it?
2: Oh, absolutely they do. I I think my superpower is understanding where children are at developmentally. Mm. I think a lot of parents, we know this to be true, but 80% of parents have higher expectations of their children than they're actually developmentally capable of, which can be really damaging for us as parents and our ability to communicate with our children effectively. Um, You know what I'm talking about? Like, why aren't you listening? And they actually aren't capable developmentally of, of tracking two things at once so with my children i knew developmentally that they were observing the world long before they could communicate what they saw and i was this uh stay-at-home parent um and so when they were two and i would take them to kmart just to waste away some time i would walk with them hand in hand and if you just put them in the center of an aisle in a traditional shopping center where it's divided literally by titles that say boy and girl and you just let them walk they drift to their gendered section around the age of two and it's, it's stereotypical marketing practices. Like I've worked on that side before. So I understand the glitter and the glam and the lights and the positioning and what is more likely to attract specific individuals. And so my children, yeah, from the age of two and three and four, they just gravitate towards um, the sections that have been defined for them But when I was a kid and my mom did that same exercise, I just walked to the girls' Mm -hmm. section. So, again, it might work for some children like mine just happen to be the perfect examples of young people being interested in in their gendered sections. But that's not what we try to create change for, right? We have to create the change for the Shans of the world who, who when they go into that section and they just gravitate towards the boy, that we as parents say, well, why don't we just walk through here and see if there's anything you like? I look at...
0: the the world out there and the media out there. And for me personally, I I love, I'm a music dude so I'm looking at the music coming out and I see my children, both of them, fall in love with someone like Harry Styles and I applaud Mm. and I go, thank goodness Mm. for Mm -hmm. Harry Styles.
1: But again, you know, the thing is though we have been here before. I mean we have, it ebbs and flows. We've been here with David Bowie, you know, so it's, we have to keep, keep we have to capitalise on it and not let, a wave of conservatism take it away from us again.
0: What's the future? What does it look like? What do we need to see change? What are the, the steps we we need to be taking now?
2: I think that we're there. I cannot fathom that there were that just thirty two years ago, it was illegal to be me in the country I was raised in. That kids like me, not only were they not allowed to like who they wanted to like, they couldn't get married and they couldn't have children. Like that was the world I grew up in. Little Sean knew who he was. And again, this is a specific section about sexuality, but I think it's a broader conversation around where we're at today. And now I am married and it's legal and I have children and it's legal and I walk hand in hand with my husband around the world. And it is a better world today when it comes to acceptance of people who are different than it was 30 years ago. It might not always feel that way to people, but I think it's really valuable for us to look at where we are and go, we do have Harry Styles and he wears what he wears and people celebrate it. That's a seismic shift forward. But if there was a barometer globally, when it means to be a human, can you express yourself a little more authentically? I think we're absolutely in a better place today than we were even five years ago.
0: I think another thing that I'm taking away from this is that the kids are all right. <laughs> do you know, that we I learn from my kids. Yes. They correct me. They're not angry when they correct me. No, if I get a pronoun wrong, they're very no. kind about they it. They just remind me. Mm. Do you do you ever get picked up on oh. gender stereotyping that you might be doing by your kids? Are you
1: joking? I get picked up on everything. Mm-hmm. Little cops. See? That's what I mean. And then We've grounded. Got them.
2: It's beautiful. Yes. That's it. Sean, are you noticing this three... already
0: at four years of age? <laughs>
2: Boom. No, but I have three babysitters <laughs> over the course of the last five years that are all between the ages of like 18 and 22. Mm-hmm. And it's so refreshing to hear specifically where that age group is at when it comes to right. gender politics. Mm-hmm. I've had a babysitter call me out and be like, oh, not all girls shave anymore, Sean. That's dead like girls can do whatever they want with their body hair. And I was like, Oh uh, oh, yes. Thank you. Call me out. Put me in my place. (laughs) Like I, I need access to this information, but also when we talk about, you know, um, that I've had two sitters ask me when I was telling a story, well, what are their pronouns? I just want to get it right when you're telling the story. Like it's very quick for them. It's almost like it's a part of their lives that they know how can I respect people. And that gives me a glimmer of hope that when my four-year-olds are 24, that they're probably going to have that be the backbone of what it means to be a person. Is it ever too early
0: to talk to kids about gender stereotypes,
2: Sean? Absolutely not. I don't think so. I think what we know developmentally is maybe our children will not be able to comprehend fully the impact on their lives um, or what it is like to live in the real world. But I think when it comes to stereotypes, the world is going to work really hard before you're capable of being the teacher. The world is going to teach them. And so if you can kind of constantly reinstate your policy and how you feel and what's important to you, and then also remind them of the rest of the world, I think you can create better children. It's why we travel. It's so that we can have sympathy and empathy for others who might not have what we have. And so even at an age of two, I was constantly reinstating to my little children who just saw their little bubble and thought that was normal. I had to do the exact opposite, reminding them like, no, sweetheart, not all people have two dads. It's just that kind of constant reinforcement when it comes to sexuality and gender so that they have a better understanding of, of the type of world that you want. Michelle Laurie
0: and Sean Zebs, thank you so much for your time today and oh, for your you. honesty and your sharing. Thank you so much. Well, that's it for this episode of Navigating Parenthood growing great tweens. Join me next time for the final episode for this season when we'll be charging the batteries of Family Connection. If you haven't listened already, make sure you check out the first three seasons of Navigating Parenthood and don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. It helps us to share the love. Thanks. For more information and useful parenting links, head to hcf.com.au slash podcast. If the podcast makes you feel depressed or anxious, and you need to talk to someone straight away, call Lifeline on 13 11 14. I'm Dylan Lewis. I'll catch you again soon. Cheers. Love you. HCF acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we've recorded this podcast on, the Bunurong Boon and Wurundjeri Woi Warang peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nation. We pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging.